Alright, so it's January 23rd, 2018, baby, and this is incubation time. We're back at it again. I'm Manuel Seman, aka Manny, aka Manelson, aka Manster, aka the mayor of Manchester, Pennsylvania. That's the new one. For those keeping track. AKA El Gordo, AKA the Beaner with the Cool Demeanor, AKA Fast Food Galileo, and I think that's all of it. Yeah, Breaker of Chains, titles, 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 <laughs> titles, titles. <laughs> and I'm Will. Yeah, as always, just Will. Yeah. Um, so, first things first, you know, we haven't done this in a while. And so I wanted to start this episode by kind of talking about that. And, you know, usually we kind of discuss the news, we take a couple of topics on and, uh, you know, and try to discuss them uh, to some degree. But today I kind of just wanted to discuss how brutal kind of the last six months of last year were. Um, so kind of we're starting our fourth year in our PhD. And I always like to say that, that we're starting our fourth year. Right, yeah. Because by the time... Like we're act, we have actually spent four years in a PhD. That's when we'll be in our fifth year. Exactly, yeah. and it, that seems brutal. That yeah. seems like so. It's not good for morale. No, it's not. Um, and it it can't help that third year was starting to be hard. Yeah. So I can't even imagine in the future. But you know, I'll I'll start with this. I we just had a recruitment event. And uh, one of the, I was, I was surrounded by three recruits. So, you know, doe-eyed, very optimistic people that come to Hopkins right. um, to try to get into a PhD, right? Like, as we did. And, and, and when we were recruiting, we were just, I, I remember thinking Hopkins was just the best thing in the world. And I think it's still a great place, but, you know, levels of optimism. So I was surrounded by three recruits and a PI. And so uh, the PI asked me what I was doing, and so I kind of told him my project. I still haven't been able, as a side note, I still haven't been able to have a good, like, elevator pitch for what I do. Mm -hmm. I just, I just can't. Yeah, I feel like it's e really easy to get weedsy on that. And yeah, like cancer yeah. people have it so easy. Right. Because anyone knows, you know, what like, cancer is. Cancer. Yeah. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, and so I talked about it. And then she asked me what year I was, and I said, I'm starting my fourth year. Uh -huh. um, and she just went on and said, oh, so he's just like in this very sad place uh, <laughs> where, where he has decided that he will never graduate. And it really, I mean, I was already there. Yeah. But uh, the fact that she acknowledged it in front of like recruits yeah. was insane to me. And so yeah, I just... I, I like that though. It was I good. mean, it's funny because it's, to me, that's like a rare thing. Especially yes. at a recruitment event where you have a PI who's willing to just call it what it is. I think it's rare for a PI period to kind of acknowledge it. Um, but yeah, even more so with a bunch of uh, recruits. Uh, and so, you know, I think I saw it in their faces just like they were a little shocked. Yeah. And so what I told them and I think what I tell a lot of people is like first year was just a blast, right? You move, you meet all of these new people. Um, and all of these new people also don't know that many other people in the city. So you kind of just hang out and we had the luck of having a great group and first year was just fun. 
-hmm. You know, you just did rotation stuff. You worked for a little while. We spent a lot of time drinking coffee and chatting. Right. Um, You're in class, but classes are like, only matter so much in reality. Right. Bees get degrees. Right. We've talked about this. Um, And then second year is great also. You know, you feel more professional. You've chosen a lab. You're not doing really anything, but you feel like you're learning and you you're it feels very i don't know very good yeah. to just be in the lab and kind of slowly but surely grow in your lab learn more things well everything's new and i also feel like at the beginning of a project is when a lot of things can go well yeah because you're asking your first questions and like you're i mean it's easy i think i mean I'm sure everyone has a different experience. I think it's really easy to get preliminary data on sort of anything. Like, yeah. Because you yeah. just, you have an idea, you test it. And if it's not, if it doesn't work when you test it, then you just move on to your next really great idea. And eventually something is going to look like it works. Right. And then once you actually start digging into like investigating something a little bit further, that's when you like hit these like deep troughs. Blocks. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, exactly. It's just that, um, at the beginning, you have 10,000 rows. Right, yeah. Um, and you have zero, really not that lot invested in your stuff working. Right, because it's still early, and like if something doesn't work, then it's fine, you can just pivot. Yeah, like second year, I killed like three projects. Yeah. And I remember feeling great about it. Yeah. I was just like, well, I won't be roped into, you know, just working on these things that don't matter for five years. Like, this is good. And it was good. Uh, but then you turn into third year, and I think third year is when you you stop taking classes with all of your classmates, um, and third year becomes a, like that's when you realize you this is your job. Yeah. So when it becomes a job, it just it somehow becomes tedious. Um, you have you have way much more invested in your project. Well, yeah. And if things don't go well, it's just so much more. I don't know. It takes a toll. Yeah, I think that's like half one of the big issues that and realizations that happens, and especially in like third and fourth years, that not only is it you realize that it's your job, but also that uh, it's a job that you realize you can't complete without um, like a certain level of success. Yeah. So you're, you know, Further into your project, you've narrowed your, like like you said, you have 10,000 roads when you first start. And then by the time you're in your third year, you've narrowed it down to, like, many fewer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> to, like, yeah. one or two, basically. Right. And um, then you're in the grind of actually having to, like, figure out a problem. And as things get more difficult, you realize that, like, you're doing the same thing every day. Just kind of rehashing oftentimes these like same experiments that are you know maybe not working for one reason or another you got to figure out that reason and once you figure that out then maybe you can actually do your real experiment and you think you do it and it actually doesn't turn out to be the like what you thought it was it either means that there's more troubleshooting to do or you were wrong and you have to like take backtrack a little bit and figure out what's going on so there's just a lot of like what feels like stagnation in this time when you're doing you're working just as hard as you were your first and second year, right. but you're just getting less results out of it. All of that is true, and I think, but I think it still feels dif- different from 
Like, you know, like we, we we had done research before our PhD. Well, that's the thing is you just didn't have... Now you have to have a successful project in order to graduate. Yeah. When I was a tech, if something didn't work, it was fine because I was going to leave at the end of like at 5 p.m. And I was going to leave that job after two years and apply to grad school. Yeah. Like with grad school, I don't get my PhD unless my project it works. works. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think there that there's a lot of that. Um, there's also, I don't know. I think I took the wrong approach to things in third year. Um, I think I, I anticipated a lot, and and by that I mean, you know, I would talk to the senior grad students, especially about my thesis committee meetings, and then they would tell me, well, the most important thing about the thesis committee meeting is that you have a story that you can tell and that it sounds publishable. Mm-hmm. So I had this one project and it kind of was going well. So I just I just put everything into that project to try to have a better thesis committee meeting. And the committee meeting was good, but then that project kind of fell apart and I had nothing, you know? So it's it was one of those things that that advice works great for a fourth, for a you know, late fourth year, maybe fifth year, sixth year grad student. Right. But as a third year, I think it really backfired because, you know, I think I was very good at like the, I don't know, like the, the presentation aspect of it. Yeah. But as on the science side, yeah, like projects fall apart all the time. Yeah. And I really had nothing to back it up. And then that just started the cycle of like, oh man, this project is not that great. And I kind of knew that I would then need to start back again. Mm-hmm. And I would just continuously put that, um, just postpone that, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, subconsciously, I just knew how much longer that would take. And I kind of didn't want to go through that again of like putting all of this work and then just being like, because it's very different when something doesn't work or you prove like, another hypothesis or whatever and just like oh yeah no that was kind of like an artifact and we're not interested in that you know now yeah um so i don't know i I mean yeah no i totally agree i feel like you're that fear of like having to kind of backtrack and find like a new path or like a you know new angle to take your project is something that i struggle with a lot currently where i spent like a good amount of time this like the past six months I was writing um a grant and so I basically took like a month off of like experiments and just sat down and basically hashed out this grant and wrote Mm -hmm. it and I it's a hard it was a hard process for me but I actually really enjoyed it because it was sort of I guess what I it, to me, it's like that's the romantic part of the PhD still is like, I'm just going to sit down. I have these ideas. For all I know, they're gonna, they're right. Yeah. And here yeah. they are. And now pay me for them. Yeah. And the hard part then is having to go and find out that they're wrong, <laughs> right? Which is what the experiments are for. It's why PIs and, are so happy. Yeah. Because that's just, their job. That's their job. They just come up with great ideas, and then someone else has to tell them that they're wrong. Exactly. Um, and yeah, so now I'm, you know, the, obviously the grant has been is like it's submitted, 
and I, yeah, I submitted the grant and then it was the holidays. Um, and so I was like out of town for a couple of weeks for that. And then I got back at the beginning of January and we needed to like start science back up mm-hmm. and it was hard. So I was like, God, like, I'm just going to like go and do these experiments that I proposed and they're just not going to like, they're not going to go if they're going to, uh, go right. Yeah. Not all of them are going to go right. Right. But if they do go right, they're certainly not going to be on the timeline that I proposed in that grant probably. And so, you know, I, you know, submitted a, like I, in my fourth year, I submitted a two-year grant that puts me at a six-year PhD. Yeah. Which is not what I would have hoped for when I entered this, <laughs> right? But it was something that I was, like, knew was a possibility, and that's fine. But um, that two years is, like, best-case scenario. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. also terrifying to think about. I think uh, two things to that. Like, one, you know, I've, I've had a, I had a lab mate that was also struggling a lot. And I would always tell him, like, dude, a PhD is just, if you look at it, it's just six months of things going well, but they are spread out in five years or six years. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of believe that, but it doesn't bring me comfort anymore. No. Uh, you know, because now, again, like, uh, and I guess the second point is, it's weird how easy you can waste time, you know? So, like, if you postpone things and you're just, like, cloning or you know, growing cells, uh, expanding them, you know, doing like small experiments, but not really generating data. Mm-hmm. A month can go by. Yeah. You know, like a week for us, I've noticed this, like weeks are just, just go by very quickly. Yeah. Um, because our days go by very quickly. So um, you can lose a month very easily. Yeah. But then picturing two years seems like a lot. Yeah. You know? And I think that's a problem that the day-to-day goes very quickly, but the time, the actual time doesn't reflect progress. So thinking in terms of of like finishing your PhD just seems endless, whereas you can easily see yourself spending years just not, just not really getting there. Yeah. You know, Um, and that's, I think, the most concerning thing. If yeah. you if you actually saw yourself like, you know, progressing little by little, it would be easier. Um, but again, it's just those six months to spread out for years. Right. I mean, I don't know. I think that that six months spread out over several years is, I kind of believe it still, but I've seen a bunch of different versions of that. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like... It's not six months spread out over four years. It's really like six months literally at the end. Where oh, like, yeah, yeah. They've done That's like also four true. years of like right. nothing really works. And then all of a sudden like they do the right experiment and like everything just falls in line. Yeah. And I've also seen it where they do like the student has like a ton of great work that doesn't um, really like cohese well into like a like a narrative story that they could yeah. put together and for that for that second scenario i envision that advice that you had gotten from your old the, the senior lab members mm-hmm. where it's like just you know find like the narrative thread in like any of your data yeah. and present that to your thesis committee and then from there they'll find like the one or two 
key experiments for you to just finish. Yeah. And you don't need to... Because I think it's, like, also a trap that... I mean, I certainly fall into still, and I think it's something I need to get out of, is I want to... At, like, a thesis committee or even at, like, lab meeting or mm -hmm. whatever, I want to show them everything that I've done to show them that, it, like, I have been working. Right. Like, I don't feel like I've been productive, but, like, look at all this bullshit that I've, like, I can throw onto a yeah. slide. Yeah, yeah, And, um, but that doesn't, like, all of that data can, just thrown at people, can make things confusing, and it, they miss the point of, like, what you're actually doing. Yeah. And so... I think that is a really good advice that you got, but the other problem is you need to have <laughs> enough to be able to pull it off. I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, but either way, I think, I think you know, at the end of the day, I took this class of like, you know, I made the mistake of taking this entrepreneurial class. Uh. So it was just a bunch of buzzwords and like people that, you know, want to build apps and Oh. shit like not great yeah um but the one cool thing that they showed us is like and they sh they taught us as an innovation in the startup culture was this idea that if you're building a let's say the guy that was building uber uh you know would in that company you would hire a bunch of engineers and then you would tell them like we, we need to do this program so that you can get it on your phone blah 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 you know connect with the cars etc um, and what a lot of companies did was just that, like do the product and then release it. Mm -hmm. Um, but what you, what companies do now is they'll essentially, before they even start to develop the app, they'll talk to the end consumer. So they would talk to us and be like, Hey, if you could like hail a cab from your phone, what's the most important thing to you? Yeah. Right. So you can, you can tell them like, Oh, the most important thing would be to always be able to you know, track the car so that if, you know, they're trying to take me some other way or if I lose my phone or, you know, different yeah. things would matter. And that process is the thesis committee, right? Yeah. So, like, our end consumers are them. Yeah. And and journal editors, I guess. Um, but mostly the thesis committee. So, the thesis committee is just this process of talking to your consumer and being like, what is most important to you? So, you know... Yeah you kind of have to give them and they're very distracted people yeah you know yeah, like yeah. this is not your project is not their main thing right so you have you kind of have to narrow them so that they give you that answer of like what's most important yeah otherwise they're gonna say 10,000 things they're gonna complain about 10,000 things absolutely but, yeah and it still is like no matter what it's a super stressful thing um, you know because they are like the the guards the people that decide if you graduate or not. Yeah. Also, another hallmark of like third year, now fourth year, is that all of these things that we're saying, we're kind of like aware of a lot of this. And, you know, like other people will give you advice and tell you that it's fine. Um, but the weird thing now is that that kind of doesn't make it better. <laughs> you know? Like... Yeah. Uh, even though you have all of this information, you know, it's normal, PhDs are hard, you know, this PI telling me and their recruits that, you know, just by knowing that I was a fourth year, she knew exactly where I was. Right. Um, but it's sti it still feels... Shitty. Yeah, and weirdly personal, you yeah. know, weirdly, like, related to me and my circumstances. Yeah. Um, even though we've talked about this, you know, 
ad nauseum. Right. And we know we're kind of like in similar situations. It just feels like, oh, well, no, like, you know, I, I know at least for me at some point, I always, and, you know, I think we, science as a whole, like, you know, recruits people with pretty big egos, um, at least science egos. Yeah. So I think in my experience and, you know, maybe in other people too, I always assume like, well, you know, I'm the exception. I should be the exception, right? Yeah. Like I'll work, I'll outwork everyone. But whatever and yeah and that's a problem right like we come in here and i i I guess i say we're big egos because who else thinks we're you know they're gonna solve disease and you know like do great research etc right um and then but that that personality doesn't go well with like a lot of negative uh reinforcement kind of loops so I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, just no, noticed that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the funny thing here is that you were saying you thought you would be, you know, the exception to that. But it's funny because, like, you're the exact same as everyone else here because of that, right? Right. Like, everyone thinks that they're going to be the exception to that. I, like, overheard, we just had our recruitment thing, like, last week. Mm-hmm. But then the week before that, uh, a different department had their recruitment event and so they had students coming in and they actually have uh current graduate students interview the the recruits okay and so they, like formally too, yeah like formally contribute but they the just do animation. it like in the lab setting so i'm oh. sitting like had my headphones in <laughs> just put it on pause so i could eavesdrop on this interview as that's happening like like right next to me and this guy was basically like um i've got like I don't, I like currently work in a lab and I absolutely love it. And there's like, I do um, things like repetitive things all the time. And I know for a fact that like the grind of grad school is not going to get to me. Ugh. And then the... Deja vu yeah, for us. Right. And I was just like, oh, you poor, poor soul. But the thing that like, and I knew that he was lying, Right because of the follow-up question uh-huh. that was asked where the, the grad student who was doing the interview was like, oh, what kind of work are you doing right now? Like, what are you doing specifically in lab that's so repetitive? And he said that he was counting cells. So like so everyday tissue culture. Everyday tissue culture. And the poor guy was like, he doesn't even have like a little, like one of those tick things. He literally puts tally marks on a piece of paper. Oh no. Yeah. So, well, that's sad, but uh, yeah. yeah. I, but I, you know he's lying because he he's is. like, I love going to lab every day. I spend hours <laughs> in tissue culture. I count cells. Well, but then it's like it's not even like he's do. It didn't even sound like he was really doing like tissue culture. It sounded like the postdoc is like, I have to pass cells today. Here, right. will you count them for me and tell me like do yeah. the math and I'll just pipette. <laughs> so two things in his defense, that can be fun if you're starting out. You know, uh, no, I dude, I enjoyed genotyping, like clipping and tagging mice and genotyping the yeah. first month. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And you know, that's totally fine. But you're like, I enjoyed tissue culture when I first started because I was like, I remember I was like, uh, like I was a high school student and it literally was the like CSI type thing. Yes. Right. Because you're sitting there like, 
I find I actually get to see something under a microscope and it's like orange or something like just like in the TV show and I see cells floating around and like yeah. trips in I'm like holy shit this is it this is science so that like I get you know being exciting the first time you're doing it but like just counting cells that's true no. but no here's how I relate to that though I think you know and, and it's deja vu for us because you know, you, you do those like menial tasks first when you're starting out in science and you think that prepares you for um, your PhD right. because you think you have the skill, face yeah. failure, you know, which means for for oh, him, yeah. for him, it failure means I miscounted, you know, then the cells were like the more confluent yelled at me. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, depending on, on where you are in your career, failure kind of means very different things yeah and so when you come to interview and everyone is just like well the first thing we look for is that you're kind of resilient against failure because that's what scientists do right there's not a single person in that room that doesn't think that they are resilient against failure yeah but their failure is it's very different right you know? well i also think that like even if so i i don't know i my take on that is that they yeah, I agree that their failure is different, but also that the stakes are completely different. Oh, yeah. Because like we yeah, had yes. mentioned before, like their the stakes for this guy is like, I'm just going to, you know, maybe right. the postdoc will be pissed at me for a day <laughs> and then he'll have to get over it. Yeah, the stake is his recommendation letter. Really. Right, yeah. Right. Versus I will be here another three years if I don't get this figured <laughs> out. You know? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's very different. So, uh, and student discounts stop applying to you once you hit 30, I feel like. So, <laughs> I mean, it's not even worth it to stay. I mean, recently I've just manned up and started paying for Amazon Prime. Oh, oh no, I still but, don't do that. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into that. But yeah, I mean, I think the stakes are different, but also they, um, and yeah, I believe that their, their version of failure is uh, maybe different, but... I mean, I think they can experience like a failed experiment and be upset about it. Yeah, yeah. It's but, just that, the like, at the end, yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, that it doesn't matter. True. As much True. to them. Yeah. Because um, their life isn't tied to it. True. By the way, side uh, uh, side note, that pausing when you have headphones on and you want to listen to a conversation yeah. is a revelation. I mean, I've done it, yeah. but I feel like it's, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's like the newest trick in eavesdropping Oh, really? and it works very well. Let me, all right, I'm going to admit something here. Yeah. That, uh, so for my, one of my new year's resolutions was to listen to fewer podcasts Yeah. because I find them distracting and I just don't get as, I'm not as efficient in lab when I'm listening. Yeah. But it's very, it's my, like, yeah, whole, uh, like lab personality is like don't talk to Will because he's listening to podcasts. <laughs> uh, so I still wear my headphones, but I don't listen to anything. And I'm glad no one in my lab listens to our podcast. Because... <laughs> I mean, theoretically, you could be listening to music. Yeah, you know? theoretically. But still, I, I like that. Yeah. You know? So I've I definitely will often have I've my headphones in, done it. but yeah, nothing's going on. Um, yeah, and you know, you can. it still gives you that like people repeller look yeah as you yeah. said um but if you want to listen to something it's right there yeah um but yeah i don't know i guess what i'm saying is there's no way to avoid this because you 
again, it's one of those things, uh, you know, people tell you things, they are right, but you're not ready to digest it. Yeah. Right? So when you're recruiting, when, you, when you're telling recruits like, oh, you need to be resilient against like all of this failure, it means two things to the two different people in that conversation. And, and therefore, I think, you know, it's, it, this is going to be a problem forever. Yeah, and it has been forever because when we were recruiting, we you know, pe- the, the like the administrators were said in your third year, that's when you come into our office and you cry in the couch, yeah, and we tell you it's gonna be fine. And I remember specifically thinking, no, yeah, no, <laughs> like that's not gonna be me. Yeah, um, it hasn't been me, but just because I don't want to cry with them. Um, right. right. <laughs> I have other people. I exactly. <laughs> I feel like honestly, like don't go cry to your administrators. No. Um, you know, friends and and significant others are best. Uh, but yeah. So I don't know. It's just I think all of these things just contribute to the feeling of this mid PhD crisis. You know, um, feeling. Yeah, I feel like this whole conversation that we've had kind of makes me feel like I should just be ripping the Band-Aid off of those couple experiments that I've been avoiding out of complete fear that they're just going to be duds. Yeah. And the sooner I know, the sooner I can tell my boss so that we can figure out what the fuck I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it it makes all the sense in the world, right? But yeah. then in, on a day-to-day basis, are the way that we think right now wins right yeah. instead of saying like oh yeah maybe this happens but then i like i still have someone above me yeah that is supposed to guide me and help me you know navigate through this so like the faster the better yeah but then on a day-to-day that that's just not how that conversation goes right um but yeah i've i i agree i i came back this year kind of very motivated and i think the thing that helped the most was always scheduling some menial experiment every day. Mm-hmm. So like some sort of PCR, some sort of thing to kind of like keep me busy. And then kind of by inertia, you kind of end up doing more experiments and kind yeah. of generating data that way. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so just think about it, you know, I don't know, maybe as I said two seconds ago, this message will go to deaf ears, you know, um, is that an idiom in English? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Um, always have to check. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully, you know, kind of this conversation is not only catharsis for us, but kind of, you know, uh, help someone. <laughs> if it only helps us, then I mean, good. it's good. <laughs> We're pretty selfish about that yeah. and about how we use it, this podcast. But uh, anyway... Whatever. <laughs> All right. So, um, so now that we bent it, we uh, we this this week's show, this week's this show, this episode. Um, <laughs> Next week's show will be delayed. For yeah, for another four months. months. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so this show will be very compact. Um, so you know, kind of, we just wanted to talk about how we felt. Uh, through our last year in grad school, and now, as usual, we'll do, uh, you know, 
we'll recommend a, a bunch of things to do in lab, uh, things that we've enjoyed um, in the past and kind of, you know, just want to talk about. So I'll go first. As I mentioned before, I'm a grown-ass man and pay for my Amazon Prime. I also pay for my Spotify, and that's a great decision. You're a fool. I've, I use the student thing for for Spotify, so I only pay like $6 a month. Um, yeah, I do the thing where you get Spotify and Hulu for like... I also some, did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $6 a month. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but it, the thing about Spotify that's insane to me is I pay $6 a month. Whereas when we were growing up, maybe that was one CD, maybe. Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> right? Let's say it was. Yeah. Right. Uh, recently, and I've, I've been listening to less podcasts because listening to music is kind of great, and I hadn't done it in forever. Yeah. And it it's actually motivating for work, whereas a podcast, if you're very, like, you know, into it, right. it might just be like, oh, I'm, you know... It's, it's very nice to just sit down and have some coffee and kind of just listen to the podcast. Yeah. Um, but with music, it kind of keeps me going. So, uh, but in a day, I might listen to a hundred songs, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if that's a lot. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. Music at all. Doesn't matter. It's way more than what six dollars would would have gotten me ten years ago. Yeah. So it's insane. I don't get it. I can search for like very obscure Mexican music and find it very well categorized and then like, you know, a new song that dropped today. So I love it. I still haven't gotten to that point where it recommends uh, songs for you to listen that are like like new songs for you to listen based on what you have listened. And it, it hasn't been like totally accurate yet, but I feel like the more I use it, obviously the better it will become. Um, my second recommendation, a podcast, even though I just said I listened uh, to less of them. Um, so I think last episode I recommended the Doughboys podcast, which is all about um, uh, chain restaurants. And so when I used to listen to the Doughboys, I always w craved the food that they were talking about. So if they were talking about donuts or, you know, uh, Five Guys burgers and fries, I wanted to eat that that night. And that's fine, uh, but you know you also kind of need a, a, a counterweight to that. So my new recommendation is uh, a podcast called The Dumbbells. It's two comedians talking about health and fitness. So it's funny. It's very good, and they are very they're very good about how how they talk about it. So they kind of give you the information, but their main thing, or what has been very helpful for me, is their approach to um, to things is never you know, like you should punish yourself in order to be healthier or you should hate exercise. It's more about like, you know, you you are, you should be able to, you know, have a, a meal where you're maybe not that, not tracking everything that you're eating, but it's just one meal. Don't, don't think about it as a cheat meal because then, you know, you're just waiting for it and you may, you know, overeat because of how you, you think of that meal. Um, you know, little things like that. I, I just butchered that idea, but Listen to it. It's pretty good. Um, because of that, you know, i kind of been trying to work out more. And then I watched the movie Creed, which is the latest movie in their Rocky franchise. One of the best series ever made. Maybe Star Wars, the Rocky franchise, 
Uh, what else? Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, Harry Potter. Uh, what else? <laughs> I don't. I think that's all the franchises. Lord of the Rings. I guess uh, that's three. Yeah. Wait, what? I don't know. I don't think they hold up. Dude, they're above Harry Potter, and I really like the Harry Potter what? movies. What? No. I don't know. Why? I gotta rewatch them, maybe. I just remember laughing through the entire first one. Is that... Is that well, wrong? there's funny things. No, 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 no. I wasn't laughing because it was meant to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Alright, maybe. Maybe you need to rewatch. I think it's very good, but anyway. Um... And also, maybe now that we have Game of Thrones, yeah, Tolkien just seems a little childish. Yeah. By comparison. There's like no incest in, in Zero. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the Rocky franchise is great. I love it. And uh, But this one, Creed, is insanely good. Um, and it made me so inspired that I bought a jump rope. We'll see how much I use that jump rope, but it's cool. Like, in any boxing movie, jumping rope, badass. Like, it goes from, like, pigtailed little girls doing the double dutch <laughs> to, to jacked guys just fucking jumping the rope. Um, like, those are the two people that jump rope. Um, so, anyway. Uh, so watch that. <laughs> it's very good. It's directed by the guy that's doing Black Panther, which also I can't wait to watch. Yeah, that was, um, I'm a I'm that. a staunch, you know, like not a staunch anti Marvel guy, but I'm not a comic book uh, movie guy. He's a hater. Yeah, apparently. And uh, but Black Panther looks amazing. Um, and then the last thing, I guess, it it kind of has to do with what we talked about in the in the first. Uh, portion of the show and you know be, be you know the other are like minor recommendations but in general i would say my last recommendation is kind of take care of yourself uh for all of the people listening that are like also getting their phd like you there can be periods where again like things look very bleak like uh you're not feeling motivated and you kind of just need to you know, get over it and 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 talk to get over your fear of kind of looking weak or whatever, and talk to other people. You know, and so I started going to therapy last year, and it has been great to just discuss these things with someone else, with a with a third party, um, completely you know uh, unbiased person, not invested in in my project or my life. That has worked well for me. Maybe, you know, that doesn't work well for everyone. But you need an outlet from, you know, our job. Because it can get kind of hard. And I don't know. Just in general, like, remember that, you know, it's just a job one. And always have some way to kind of manage it. Because it can get overwhelming at times. And that's it. Those are good recommendations. <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to... That got serious. Yeah. I was just going to recommend, uh, I've been uh, with our uh, producer, Laura Cohen, Yeah. with her lab, we've been watching uh, terrible movies recently, which right. is, has been a ton of fun. Yeah. We watched, so Tolkien, so a lot of yeah, uh, Lord, yeah, of, the Lord of the Rings. I think <laughs> we might put that on the list, actually. <laughs> but we've been, we started with The Room, which was, uh, I think, made a lot more 
much more famous more recently from the movie that James Franco made yeah. about the making of The Room. Um, and last weekend we watched Birdemic, uh, and I highly recommend watching checking out the trailer. You don't you don't need to watch the movie, I'd say, yeah, but the, the trailer, trailer the trailer will be enough. <laughs> if you want to watch the movie, it's also um, strange in a delightful way. <laughs> But uh, I think the trailer the trailer has this like incredible song in it um, towards the end of the trailer that uh, I wouldn't I won't be able to do justice. But um, it's not in the movie at all, which I found incredibly disappointing. <laughs> um, it was maybe the most disappointing part of the movie, which says a lot. So uh, those are have been fun, and the thing last thing I want to do is to not recommend something and I want to not recommend uh this idea of a supermoon because what the hell is a supermoon? A supermoon? It's like a thing that happens every fucking week, I feel like. Okay. And but there's always an article online that's like the last supermoon of the next 30 years is happening tomorrow. If you miss it, you'll miss it forever. And there's just like a new one every month. But is it just a bright moon? I don't even know. The this it's just it doesn't make any sense. I think it's a full moon that's like extra bright maybe. But like this week apparently we're having a a blue supermoon which is you know a once in a lifetime event. Last month we had like a harvest supermoon which is a once in a lifetime event. Guess what guys? They're just fucking full moons. There's not any difference between a supermoon and a less supermoon. Hey, do you remember the eclipse? Yeah. You remember those fucking clouds? Yeah. We didn't see anything. We didn't see anything. Anyway, so the, I'm, I'm on the record as NASA should be abolished. Nothing, I disagree Nothing with that. in the sky matters. Like, who cares about supermoons and stars and Mars? Uh, or maybe using rockets to propel Mars a little closer to us? That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no for sure just like end this then oh did you see that thing on new year's of like um elon musk's spacex company uh did this launch in in los angeles no so they did this they were trying to prove i guess that uh so they launched a rocket and i guess then a part of it disassembled or whatever the fuck rockets do and then that was used as i don't know something else happened the point is, people in L.A. looked at the sky, and the sky looked weird, and they didn't know why. Oh. Um, so, like, UFOs. And it yeah. was, like, kind of, like, the same week that something happened with the yeah, UFOs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, and then Elon Musk said, like, oh, that was our launch, blah, blah, blah. It was like, no one cares, man. <laughs> no one cares. That's less interesting now. Yeah. Yeah. It's way less interesting. Like, uh, I, why does SpaceX even... I've talked about this. I'm I'm derailing. Um, fuck NASA, fuck the moon, and yeah, period. Yeah. Apparently, this thing is a uh, at the end of January, a blue moon, a super moon, and a lunar eclipse will fall on the same night at the end of January. In an event that hasn't happened in 150 years, but these events, like I get, I see a new article every month about some like crazy moon thing that's happening. There are only so many crazy yeah. moon things. Call me when the Haley Comet comes. That's the only thing. 
that's the one thing that I'm just like, okay, once every 65 years, worth my time. This was once every 150 years. Oh, but all three, I don't care. Like, yeah, that's a combination. No. Like, I just want to see one thing that happens every 65 years. I, I don't even know if I need to see that. The Haley comment? Yeah. Well, there was an episode of Hey Arnold. Yeah, In I which they that. saw it. And that's the only reason why I even remember it. When is, the, when is the next Haley's comment coming? I feel like it already happened in our lifetime. No, I, I don't so. think so. I think it did. Dude, if it had happened close to that Hey Arnold episode, I would have seen the Hey Like, I would have... I, I we didn't have Google back then? I think then, it's already happened. I think you're going to have to live a really long time at this point. Let's see. Let's see. Well, that's why I'm exercising and shit. <laughs> uh, 2061. Are we going to be around? I don't know if I'll be around. I'll be, I'll be 71 years by then. Hopefully, in theory, we will, like, law of average, yeah. is that a law? By average, for average, we should be alive by then, I think. See, but, yeah, exactly, it happened before we were born. Yeah. It's every 74 to 79 years. So that will be chill, and also, like, we'll be 71, so we won't have that much to look forward to. Right. So we'll just it'll take, be just even better. <laughs> And that's a wrap on episode 11 of Incubation Time. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, please let us know. You can reach us on Twitter, at BenchTopMedia, or on Gmail, uh, incubationtime at gmail.com. Special shout out to everyone that helps us cope with our PhD. Uh, so for us, mainly, you know, both of our girlfriends, our classmates, and our friends who endlessly listen to us complain about our situation and always try to make it better. And as always, shout out to our producer, Laura, for providing me a code for Blue Apron this week. It was like actually listening to a podcast and getting a code, but from a friend. The music in this episode was obtained through a Creative Commons license. If you enjoyed it, check out the artists, Deer Tick, Kurt Vile, and The Relatives. Finally, just a reminder that the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our employer, the Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions.